The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for all the tips, techniques, strategies, and news that you need to build your own financial independence through real estate investing. And here at Real Life Real Estate, we really try to give you a wide, broad view of all of the hot strategies in the real estate and real estate-related investment marketing, include the, including those that when you first hear about them make you go, huh? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. One of those strategies involved investing in defaulted and reperforming second mortgages. My guest today is Dave Van Horn, who is the president and manager of Partners for Payment Relief, here and after referred to as PPR. He oversees the company's corporate compliance, strategic planning, and business development, tax accounting, sales marketing, and fundraising functions. Dave comes from a real estate investing background. He owns multiple investment properties, has invested personally in notes and mortgages, and has uh, been a Pennsylvania licensed realtor, which I think begs the question, Dave, are you insane? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, today I'm a realtor mostly for tax reasons, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'll I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, the um th- generally when I say to people, "Oh yeah, you know, investing in defaulted second mortgages is is kind of a hot strategy right now." I get the same reaction that I I'm sure you do, even though you do this a, all the time, which is why in the world would anyone want to do that? <laughs> because <laughs> You know, they're crazy, right? Exactly, um, exactly. Um, now I know you know PPR is one of the better known companies in the country that that does this, and you guys do a lot of it. Yes. D- describe describe what it is that PPR and and similar country, co- companies individuals are actually doing. Well, we're basically uh, a fund that uh, pulls accredited investor money, and we go out to market and purchase. Uh, pools of delinquent mortgages in bulk from the banks and servicing companies. Um, and then we do the the smile and dial or collection side of things. Uh, so it's a little bit different twist, but it's, um, you know, just any time, you know, a lot of people invest in different kinds of debt, different, you know, whether it's auto debt, student loan debt. Uh, the people that invest in commercial notes think that the people that invest in first mortgages are crazy. And the people that invest in first mortgages think we're we're crazy, and then there's people that invest in unsecured debt even, 
Um, but they all have different business models of how they make money. That's all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we'll come back to who people who who people who invest in defaulted seconds think are crazy later on. But <laughs> um, so so I, I think I think most of our listeners knows knows what know what a second mortgage is, and I think they know what defaulted means. Yeah, and, they're not paying <laughs> exactly, and I, I think that the reason for the reaction that both you and I get when we say, "Oh yeah, defaulted second mortgages." is that people people are thinking about their own second mortgages. They're thinking about the fact that back in 2005, they were able to borrow 125% of what their house mm-hmm. was worth at that time on a second mortgage. Right. And, and now the value of the house has dropped. So I, I think your company is, is buying second mortgages where not only is the payment not being made, but the total amount owed on the first and second mortgage may be significantly more than the house is actually worth. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I would say eighty to ninety percent of what we purchase is upside down. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're just you're now just... when we when we started in the business, there was a lot more equity in the pools. Today, maybe ten percent have equity. Twenty, you know, ten, probably right around ten percent have equity today. Um, but the new equity is. Senior on the first mortgage, I mean, the first mortgage is current. So the senior performing is like the new equity today. Um, and we prefer owner-occupied. So we do, there's probably at least six solid categories of delinquent seconds. And we do focus on a core group where we like when the senior is performing because it means they have a job and that they want to stay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. typically. So, mm-hmm. so our business tends to be more statistical, whereas people that invest in first, or in commercial notes, are more geographical buyers, whereas we're more of a statistical buyer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let, or investor, you know. Let's put let, let let's put some um, fake numbers to this that that I, I think probably reflect a lot of what you see because uh, uh, the, these are the sorts of numbers that I see uh, when when I see uh, defaulted seconds or, or reperforming seconds being sold. So maybe the house is now worth a hundred thousand. This is yes. this is a house in Ohio. <laughs> yep. If you live in California, just triple everything, okay? So the, the, the house is worth a hundred thousand. There's a first mortgage on it from to, that belongs to somebody else. It belongs to one of the big banks or something, and that first mortgage is going to be around maybe ninety five thousand. And then this second sure. the second mortgage, this defaulted mortgage that you're investing in, the balance might be forty thousand. Bringing the total loans up to one thirty-five on a house that's worth a hundred thousand uh, dollars is that is that not out of line? Very common. Very common. Okay. No, it's very. Okay. See it a lot worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So here's going to be the big question that I know listeners are going to have: How do you make money on a forty thousand dollars second mortgage? where there's very little equity and the borrower is not paying, and you know that when you bought the mortgage. <laughs> well, there's a couple of things happening. One is um, we have lower price points, obviously. Um, some seconds trade anywhere from $0.03 cents today to upwards probably close to $0.40 cents on the dollar, depending on how much equity is in the property. So um, that's one thing. And then the other side is... Um, there's four main reasons people default, and it's loss of job, medical, death, or divorce, typically. So, 
And then they might not have paid. I mean, we bought loans that were three years, five years, our records, like 10 years where they hadn't been paying. But a lot of times their life, something changed in their life since then. Um, but they're still not paying because, you know, a lot of times nobody's really making them pay. Uh, so that's part of it. And a lot of times, you know, um, they're, they do want to stay and they'll figure something out. We call it emotional equity. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, I recently bought a car and it probably dropped 30% in value when I drove it off the lot, yet I'm still making my payments. And with that, with this house in Ohio, it's really more of an affordability thing than it is a logical thing to a real estate investor because the homeowners, um, he might have banged up credit because he's not paying the second. And if he went to move, it's not as easy to walk away because he would need first month, last month, a month security. He might have two cats, a dog, three kids, a daughter in high school, and now he has to pay a mover and move, Where or is it better just to work something out on the second? That I bought at a discount, that I'm willing to share that discount in, sub, uh, in some type of plan that they come up with. Mm-hmm. And we work together on that plan. It's really not my plan. It's, it's kind of their plan uh, that's acceptable to us. So whether that's a principal reduction or an interest rate reduction or extension of term or something like that. So a lot of times, you know, hopefully uh, if they want to stay, then we help them stay. If they want to go, we help them go, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to discuss further the options that any listener might have as the owner of a defaulted second mortgage. We'll also take listeners' calls at 877-772-9658 or emails at askmina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Dave Van Horn of Partners for Payment Relief. I'm just going to say PPR from now on because it's just easier for me to say PPR. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the company. So uh, we're talking about the second defaulted second mortgage market and the possibilities for profit within that market. And we're also going to talk about what the risks are and how how this all happens and so on. Um, now, Dave, before the break, you mentioned something super important that I'm not sure that the typical real estate investor who is not familiar with the note buying industry immediately gets, which is that in our in our in our example that we're using of a hundred thousand dollar house that has a ninety five thousand dollar first and a forty thousand dollar second and that's where you that's where you're coming in is on that forty thousand dollar second you're not paying forty thousand dollars for that second mortgage you're paying anywhere it sounds like from twelve hundred up to maybe sixteen thousand depending on i'm sure a number of factors uh that we can get into a little bit later but first thing is those things are being traded at a big discount (laughs) the investor is not paying anything close to the um, the full unpaid balance, or they would, in fact, be insane because, you know, paying full price for things that aren't performing is just, I don't know, not, not a good move generally, I would say. So let's say that you have gone out and bought this, this, uh, this defaulted, non-performing second mortgage. The buyer hasn't, or the uh, borrower hasn't made payment in, in two or three years. Uh, up until the time you buy it, it's probably been owned by one of the big national banks or a regional bank or something like that. Now PPR is the owner of this mortgage. How 
do you turn it into money? Uh, well, we do a couple of things. We have a, uh, we do a phone campaign, a mail campaign, and at the same time, we might even send out a door knock service where they would actually uh, go out to their property, knock on the door, maybe even hand them a cell phone or lead a letter. Might hand them a cell phone with one of our workout uh, asset managers on the other end. Uh, hey, we've been trying to reach you, that kind of thing. And then by about day 16, of uh, after owning, uh, we typically initiate foreclosure with a demand letter. So they pretty much know that at this point PPR is serious. Um, that, so we're going down the legal path. We're trying to reach out to them. And we're leaving the messages like, hey, we're here to help you. You know, please call in. And we, a lot of times we're using foreclosure as a tool to get them to, you know, respond and call in. Mm-hmm. Um, because, see if there's anything we can do to help them, you know. Because, because psychologically, not only have they not paid on this in three years, their bank may not have even tried to get them to pay for two of those three years. And so in, the, in their minds, it's sort of something that has either gone away or they don't have to worry about or uh, apparently the bank doesn't want my house or, or something. And so your, your first move is to sort of wake them up and say, yes, this is still here and we need to work out something where you start paying it. Yes. I mean, a lot of them believe you can't foreclose from second position. And the, the truth of the matter is you can foreclose from fifth position on a secured lien. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's not PPR's goal really to to foreclose, although that is an option that you can use. Uh, the, the real goal is to keep these folks in their homes that they theoretically want to keep because they are paying their first mortgage. What sorts of things can you offer to these defaulted borrowers to, to make it easy for them to stay in their houses? Well, uh, just to give you a little bit of a statistic, we initiate foreclosure on probably close to half the loans we own, but we actually foreclose on under 10%, so it's probably around 8%. Um, and what happens is, you know, once we get a hold of them, um, a lot of times we go over options that they may not have thought of, and we kind of tell stories of other families that we were able to help. Uh, a lot of times we'll talk about, uh, you know, where we saw corporate accepted discounted payoff, uh, maybe in another state with a family that was able to access a retirement account uh, penalty-free while they were in foreclosure, uh, they might say, well, I don't have a retirement account. And then, you know, we tell them about that we have a friends and family program. And we might tell them about another family that we helped in another state or something with our friends and family program where we saw corporate accept, you know, a discounted payoff on the second uh, where a family member or friend was able to, you know, lend them the money or we would actually sell the note to the, you know, their uncle or something. So, um, and it, you know, the, say it was a $40,000 loan that we fought for, you know, 10000 or something, maybe we would accept 20000 if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And they might say, I don't have any friends or family that can help me at this time. Well, great, maybe, you know, you're qualified for our discounted arrears program, being you haven't made a payment in three years. Um, you know, maybe we can figure something out there. And typically, uh, we address the payments, we address the arrears, and usually it's a... a, a the more they can put towards arrears, the more we can do for them maybe, like lower the rate more or give them a better term, that kind of thing. And it's really an affordability thing. It's really what can they afford. You know, we go over a homeowner financial, that kind of thing. And then it's a trust and verify. You know, they have to send in their 
documents like they would on a loan mod. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so basically, and, and, and let's just take one of the examples that you gave there, uh, the unpaid balance is 40 they know that very well. They know very well what their house is worth. <laughs> they kind of, they're kind of thinking, "Oh my gosh, I'm so underwater." And you can go back to them and say, "Well, how about twenty? And it all goes away. And right. PPR, you know, not not counting the expenses of collection, there doubled its money over the ten thousand sure. dollar investment. And at the same time, the folks who did this got their loan balance cut in half. Which is, yes. I mean, that that's 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 pretty huge. It's it's a lot easier to think about I O one fifteen. Yeah. So, so and, and the more and the more upside down it is. Like, what if it was a hundred thousand dollar loan that we bought for three thousand dollars? Mm-hmm. Well, I can cut that even more, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like the more upside down it was, typically the less we paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, generally speaking, and then you can do more with that sometimes. So you have more flexibility. And to give you another statistic, if we were, you know, if loans were current on the senior lien, regardless of equity, it could be 80 loan of value or 180 loan of value, we typically get out of the same number of loans in a favorable um, workout situation where, you know, we will get out of seven or eight out of 10 of those typically. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. statistically, we do okay. It's just you don't know which loans will do that. And that's one of the reasons we really don't recommend someone buying one non-performing note. Mm-hmm. We normally prefer people to buy, you know, a small pool or something like that because mm-hmm. they can spread their risk. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we are we are definitely going to come back to that because you guys are operating at, at sort of a, a different level than our our typical uh, listener would be able to do uh, because you do raise money from accredited investors to do this and buy these things in in giant packages. Um, so uh, you've bought this loan, you're looking to, you're looking to make money on it. And if possible, make a great deal for the borrower so that they can keep their house and, and probably at a, at a, either at a significant cash discount or at a, uh, uh, perhaps a discount in the rate and terms. And so, so they can afford the payments basically. Right. Uh, what mm-hmm. what if you can't do any of those things? Do you foreclose? Well, I mean, sometimes there's a situation that it just doesn't make sense, or they really can't afford it, or maybe they're ignoring you, or they're underground, or they're you know they're just walking away, and that does happen. It usually the biggest challenge is, is if we didn't get a hold of someone, or if someone didn't believe you could foreclose. And we have done post foreclosure sale workouts. Um, and you and normally and a lot of people are under the assumption that you have to pay off the first and that's not usually the case usually we can just reinstate the first most of the time so um it's different than what they thought and then afterwards they realize oh i no longer own my house that kind of thing but we don't really want their house we want we'll do the same workout post sale that we would have done you know before the sale so Mm -hmm. to us it's not a case where we're after the home but there are cases where they just can't afford to stay there and then we help them move on a lot of times where we'll give them you know, a down payment to, you know, uh, more like a cash for keys type thing or a deed in lieu type situation where we help them move on uh, or we even can buy them time. Even if there was like no money in the deal at all, um, if nothing else, we can buy them time or we can let them live there while there's a short sale going on or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so there are things you can do. And, and we do foreclose sometimes, especially when they're in the property. Um 
we don't like to, but, you know, sometimes it's just, um, you know, it, it, they just don't believe you can or something like that. Um, but even on upside down properties where they're out of there, uh, out of the property, uh, will foreclose sometimes. And there are ways to recoup, uh, money on that too. You know, sometimes the senior lien is less than rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. So, so, or, um, so effectively, effectively, you can use your position as the second note holder to buy the property subject to that first loan. The first, yeah, in, in in almost a forced subject to situation. <laughs> well, yes, it, it, I mean it's different. Like if you bought a property at the sheriff's sale, uh, you have to pay off the first. Whereas I, I'm I'm foreclosing at the sheriff's sale, but I don't have to pay off the first. So it's a big difference. Mm-hmm. So you're you can position yourself into a deal sometimes for a minimal amount of uh, capital. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And well, then I can short sale the first, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or I can list the property for short sale, and I already know what the second will accept. Because <laughs> that's you. So, <laughs> so, uh, there, are, there are a lot of strategies that you can go in, in these cases, but it's, it's funny that you're bringing them all. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, good. Okay, uh, we need to take another quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to discuss what the what the what the the market looks like for defaulted second mortgages, both now and in the upcoming years. We're also going to take listener questions at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight or at askvina at gmail dot com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host Vina Jones Cox. My guest today, Dave Van Horn from. For, from Partners for Property Relief, PPR, talking about why his company and many others like it are investing in the defaulted second mortgage market. And what we've gotten so far is uh, you can make lots of money when the notes reperform or when they um, pay off for a cash price. And at the same time, you get to help folks who would be losing their properties if their second mortgages were still owned by the bank by uh, making their payments affordable for them or making it easy for them to pay off those mortgages. Um, now, Dave, clearly you and PPR are pretty you know, convinced that this is a good market right now. <laughs> let's, let, let's talk about, let's talk about uh, the, the bigger market, the, the amount of this inventory that you think is out there to be had and what's going to happen in 2013, 2014, 2015 with it is going to go up, down, sideways. What's going to happen? Well, you're correct. It's an enormous market. And when we first started in the business back in 2007, it was still kind of the up market. And then the market fell. Um, and the funny thing is um, the, the when I learned the business, um, the fellow that kind of taught me the business started in like 2000, and he actually made a lot of his money in an up market. So there's always delinquent debt. It's not like a, a short sale type situation that may be short lived. And um, but it's really a time for money trade off, and uh, the assets are just more expensive, or there's fewer of them in an up market. Now we're in a down market. We're at the bottom, but there's so much inventory that we're seeing. Uh, the projections are that there's over 150 billion in distressed debt still, and to put that in perspective, they only released 15 billion last year. So there's quite a bit to go. Now I'm not one to look down the road too far, but my feeling is that 13 and 14 are still going to be a significant number of delinquent assets available. Mm-hmm. It, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and again, sort of a, a bigger market question before we delve back down into the uh, into the specifics here. Um, there's probably listeners who are thinking, you know, this does sound really awesome. I should go to Bank of America and see if they have any delinquent second mortgages they would like to sell me at three cents on the dollar. And <laughs> unfortunately, that's not that's not quite how it works. <laughs> can can you? It's can, not that easy, really. <laughs> um, can, I wish it. I wish it was that easy, but it's not. Um, actually, the I, I remember back to the first bank that we uh, got direct to, and it was literally by accident. Um, we were working with a trade desk of a large servicer, and the gentleman that we were working with moved on to one of the major banks. Um, it's very hard to get into the regular bank to uh, to get vetted. There's a lot of requirements. Um, in fact, uh, the one bank literally took us over 60 days just to get approved. Um, so, it, and the other the other thing is, it's not, it's not even just that you need a lot of money to get a particular trade done and that you have to perform or you'll get blacklisted, but then, then they want to see you perform regularly, you know, like it's every month or, every, you know, they want to know how much you're going to spend this year. Um, it's not like, you know, I pulled everybody together at a Ohio RIA and made one big trade. Okay, now what What are you going to do next month? <laughs> Unless you're going to Denver RIA, you're, you're not going to be able to pull it off, you know. So it, it, that's a lot of that going on. And in first world, it, it takes even more capital. And then in uh, you know delinquent second world, so mm-hmm. um, and yet and but yet, you're right. There's there's a high barrier to entry, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at the level of going to a, a big bank, there there's a high barrier to entry. There are people that I know, like individual people, like not even super rich people, who are buying delinquent seconds, but the, the way they tend to be doing it is through a uh, a middle person hedge fund like PPR or any of the number yeah. of others that are out there doing it because you know you guys you guys are buying these in bundles of how many well i mean it's not uncommon for like my partner who's uh vice president of acquisitions though his data team may look at even as upwards they just did one this week that was 1700 loans i've seen them do 10,000 loans and they even have like um what you would call like web scraping type software where they can read the software can read 10,000 credit reports and put a report on his desk the following day. Mm-hmm. Whereas the regular individual might not have those kind of capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the analytics and they, and they might only buy, you know, a thousand loans out of the 10,000 loans or 500 loans out of the 10,000 loans after their analysis. And they do the same thing with PACER where they're reading bankruptcy documents and that kind of thing, where they'll actually have the software do that. So you have to kind of be, you know, it's like if I said to you, if, Dina, if I gave you 10 loans, you're probably okay. If I gave you 100 loans, you might be okay. But if I gave you 10,000, I don't know. You might mm-hmm. start to choke on them a little. You know? mm-hmm. So you got to be able to scale up. Um, and that's the other challenge when dealing with the banks. But I, I think that's what we bring to the table. We kind of connect uh, Wall Street to Main Street, uh, where the regular real estate investor can get in the game and, uh, and still invest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I can tell you, you know, this isn't just Dave talking. As I go to these industry conferences, uh, th- this is what I'm finding is the standard for the smaller investor to be able to buy, uh, to be able to get into the game of defaulted or reperforming seconds is uh, they are buying them from companies who are taking much larger packages, reaggregating them into smaller, what are called mini pools, 
and then selling them off to the to the individual investors. So, uh, yeah, listeners, the the go the go knock on the big bank store and say oh, I'd like to buy ten loans thing. Uh, probably isn't the way that you're going to go about doing it. Uh, speaking of listeners, we have a couple of listener questions that have come in via email at askvina at gmail.com. The first one is from Pat in Cincinnati. She says, please ask PPR, or Dave, if you prefer, <laughs> uh, can, we buy, can we buy seconds in any state? And I think the question there is, are there any states yeah. in which there's licensing or registration or something required to do that? Um, it's possible there's one or two, um, there's, e- there's a couple ways you can find out the requirements. Each state has their licensing departments, uh, but a lot, in most states you can even own a, own a note under a servicing company, even if that was required where the servicing company was licensed, that kind of thing. So usually you can own a note in just about any state. Some states don't have that many seconds like maybe Wyoming, for example, they just don't have that many people. Or, <laughs> uh, But most states, you know, we have bought in all 50 states and own notes in, a, in all 50 states. Mm-hmm. And then her second question is, do we have to worry about the statute of limitations to collect on the payments? Assuming yes, how do we find out the statute for each state? And And I think what probably triggered that was your comment that you have had loans that were as much as 10 years in default, and a lot of states have these rules that say if you don't try and collect in a certain period of time, you don't get to collect. Um, yes, that's correct. And it varies. It's state-specific, very state-specific. And um, But it usually is after they initiate it. Um, and a lot of times we have that data before we purchase. Um, so it, most of the time, if we're selling non-performing, we rep and warrant that it's a valid lien and that it's in second position. So that a lot of it's contractual with us, and I think a lot of investors don't understand that a lot of our – when we buy from a note seller, there's a lot of things in our contracts that are covered, and we could get refunds or replacements and credits and things like that. So there are things that you can do, and most of the time, uh, through our due diligence, we know – the majority of what's going on with most of what we buy. It's not like we walk in blind like like that all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So tell tell me what the ideal defaulted second mortgage looks like to you. If you could, if you could just choose your next hundred mortgages that you're going to buy, what would they? What would the characteristics be? Wow, it, it, it's a kind of a trick question um you know you could say it's equity but sometimes we make more money on on assets with no equity. it's definitely current on the first current on the first is the sweet spot right now um if you buy a current on the first with equity you're going to pay a premium if you buy a current on the first with little or no equity you're going to get it a lot cheaper and statistically we tend to get out of just as many so for us, the bargain is in the in the lower no equity, and then when those are reperforming, we might see a bonanza down the road when the market comes back because those no equity notes all of a sudden have equity, and now you know high tide you know raises all ships, and our portfolios could be worth a fortune, and we might have paid a third or half of what we would have paid for the equity from the beginning. We love the equity buyers; um, they actually help us pay for our pool. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. um, but I understand it. I've done both, and when I was a when I was a newbie, that's all I bought was equity deals. So, 
Let, let's talk about the difference between a company like yours and the, the guy on the street in terms of risk, discount, that sort of thing. Because you, you, you basically said you guys can afford to have two out of every 10 mortgages you buy in a pool just sort of not do anything. In other words, they, they, they right, not, right. nothing happens. You, you, you spent money on them. You get no money back, but it doesn't matter because the other eight made a ton of money. For the guy on the street who's thinking about buying defaulted or, or maybe newly reperforming seconds, what does he need to be looking for? Because if he's only going to buy three, he cannot afford for two of those to go bad. Um, correct. Um, well, the biggest thing really though is, is one dealing with a reputable seller and get, and making sure you have rep, any reps and warrants, uh, provided for in your contracts and also making sure that the seller that you're dealing with is going to deliver solid collateral to you because it's not like a real estate transaction. So a lot of our, um, dealings with any trade desk or any note seller, um, you know, we don't deal with, like, loss mitigation, that kind of thing. We're dealing with trade desks typically. But even if somebody's dealing with us, I mean, we like to think that we're reputable and that we provide good collateral. And the reason I say that is because in a real estate transaction, when I close on a house and I go to settlement, I get the keys to the house that day. When you buy notes from any note seller, they don't release the collateral till a couple weeks down the road. In fact, they have to hold it for two weeks for RESPA. So you don't know what you got yet. I mean, you might get electronic version, but you're not getting your actual paperwork till down the road. Um, and if you're not dealing with somebody reputable who will give you after, you know, post-sale uh, service type setup, then you could have problems. Uh, one of the uh, best trades I ever did early on uh, was, was with a company out of Texas, and we got the best pricing we've ever gotten, but we didn't get a third of the collateral for the loan. <laughs> so it ended up being the most expensive trade we ever did. So um, you, you really need to know your note seller and hopefully have a relationship with them uh, with, you know, to set up some recourse. And there are some things you can do, provisions you can put in to, uh, whether it's escrowing some uh, money uh, on the trade or using a bailey, you know, different things you can do, an exception report from uh, the custodian. So there's different things you can do to kind of protect yourself. But it really comes down to who you deal with and how well do you know them, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like anything else, you know. When we come back, we've got some more listener questions about defaulted second mortgages. If you have one, give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Dave Van Horn of PPR about the second mortgage business as as PPR performs it and then as folks more on the street perform it and uh Dave it, it I I I kind of you didn't directly say it but I kind of heard two things in our previous conversation and you can you can confirm them or not um number 1 is don't buy defaulted or reperforming seconds unless you understand what you are doing and what the paperwork should look like and who your who your seller is and so on, that there's some education that needs to be gotten here before you dive in and say, oh, look, an 18% return. I'm buying it right now. 
you are correct. I mean, I didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to do delinquent second mortgages today that, you know, just came out of bankruptcy. Um, you got to, you know, I was, I kind of fell into it by accident. And, um, but, you know, I did learn the business before I, um, yeah, it's, it's a learn by doing business, but you do want to, you know, um, know what you're doing before you get in, you know, very heavy anyway, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And the or, or, or you can, or you can hire, you can actually hire a servicer uh, that knows what they're doing with mm-hmm. the assets as mm-hmm. well. So there are ways to do it. I mean, if you really think about it, a lot of the delinquent mortgages are owned by hedge funds, insurance companies, pension funds, and those loans are placed with servicers. Um, I've seen even cases where delinquent loans were donated or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. A servicing company worked them for the mm-hmm. charity or something. So, but yeah, there are yeah, even things so, like that. Even so, uh, just understanding whether you're pricing your risk correctly <laughs> requires sort yeah. of understanding the low because because of factors here like you know how long has it been reperforming or if it's not reperforming how long has it been delinquent and what is the seller or what is the borrower's real credit and income position and so on it might make you not it might not make you decide not to buy a loan but it might make you just decide to buy it at a lower price to get a higher return to uh, manage that risk, that additional risk. So the other thing that I think I heard you say was that you prefer to see people buy mini pools rather than a second mortgage. It, yes, especially non-performing. If you're going to buy non-performing, um, I would not recommend buying one because, it, well, remember my statistic, if it was current on the first and I'm getting out of seven or eight out of ten, if I bought one and it's in the three or four, it's in the three that aren't performing, I'm going to go, oh, this business is terrible. I hate it. And mm-hmm. you really didn't give it a fair crack because you didn't have enough diversity by having enough assets to spread mm-hmm. your risk. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's not the industry's fault. It's more or less your fault you didn't have enough. Uh, you know, it can be a capital-intensive business, um, as most mortgage businesses are, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, another question from Pat here in Cincinnati. She says, if we buy a one-off, in other words, a single mortgage instead of a, a, a small pool, do we get to do the due diligence prior to buying versus if we do a mini pool, do we get to see what's in the mini pool before buying? Uh, yes, you do both. You would get uh, a due diligence period Usually on any asset, it's very. It would be extremely rare that you didn't have time to do due diligence. Mm-hmm. And in most node sellers, provide data on what they have. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, elect we give electronic data to someone that's buying an asset from us. And this, uh, whatever we have, we'll give. Whether we have a value, you know, the note, the mortgage, a credit report. Now the credit report could be older, but we give what we have a BPO. Mm-hmm. And and her second question is, what sort of information should we be looking for? from the sellers when we buy a note. And, and you're saying sometimes you have more information, sometimes you have less information. What, what, would, be, what would be a minimum? Because I, I know that there are Yeah, some... I can see where this is going. It, yeah. <laughs> it, here's the, the truth of it is it varies. And the reason it varies, remember early on I was saying there's different categories of second? Um, well, if I'm paying 40 cents for the asset, now I'm, I'm doing more due diligence, like I'm more concerned about geography, I'm more concerned about value. But if I'm paying $0.03 cents and it's an $80 note in Detroit, 
I might not care so much about value. Or if I know the house is upside down because the note seller is telling me that, well, what's the point of verifying it? I know it's upside down from when I bought it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it doesn't mean I won't run an electronic value, but I might not send out an appraiser or anything. You know, So it, it, it depends on the category of asset. But another thing is, like, we rarely pull title at acquisition, whereas if you were buying first, you would always pull title. Mm-hmm. Uh, we rarely get concerned about taxes and insurance because we know the first is. And, like, for example, say the, fir- say the property burnt down, most of the time when they're escrowing for taxes and insurance, the first would get paid off, and we would move in the first position, and most of the time on the average second we buy, the lot's worth more than what we paid. Mm-hmm. Does, that, mm-hmm. does that make sense? So it, it doesn't. It's not a. It doesn't mean we don't care about you know back taxes necessarily, but it's not a huge concern. Mm-hmm. If you understand, like it would be if I was buying first. Mm-hmm. I'm buying first. I'm I'm really concerned about the escrows. I'm really concerned about title. We only pull title when we're ready to initiate foreclosure after we own the loan, mm-hmm. which is kind of unusual in note world. Yes, and uh, and you mentioned you mentioned credit. With delinquent seconds, um, we have seen a 700 credit score here or there, but we, re- we don't care about credit because it's in a different position of the lifespan of the loan. You, you care more about credit when you're originating or something or you're refinancing. If, uh, just like job history, right? If I got a delinquent borrower and they just got a job you know, yesterday, I don't need job history. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it's... You're overthinking it sometimes, and we see a lot of that from the seller finance guys, where they want perfect credit and perfect loan to value and perfect. We're we're not in a perfect world in what we do, mm-hmm. um, and and we don't need to be to get something favorable to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Everything that you just said in the last three minutes sort of sort of exemplifies the mind shift that one has to have in moving from the real estate world to the note world in the real estate world in the real estate world there's there's numbers that we can get and that we need to be a certain way every time in every deal you know i I, I need to be i need to be buying this property at 70 percent of its after repaired value less the repair costs and in in note world the attitude is especially with these defaulted seconds is more at, at, at what price can I kind of not lose as opposed to at what right. at, at what price am I going to win? And uh, knowing the, the multiple, multiple potential exit strategies on any given note uh, makes you more able to think that through, to say, well, ideally I want them to reperform, but if they can't, right. then I will offer them a discounted payoff and maybe they can get it from their retirement fund, friends or family. And if that doesn't work, I can foreclose and take over the first mortgage, in which case I have a good little rental property. And if that doesn't work, you know, I can actually just sit on this for the next 10 years because they're still going to owe me the money and their house value will go up and their first mortgage balance will go down. Yeah, so- secured lien, even, even if you put it in a drawer. I mean, we don't really condone that because we, we try to work the asset and we don't want it to be negative ammon on them or creating a bigger problem for them if we can address it now and do something about it today, you know, help them today rather than, you know, make this, uh, you know, turn into a big tumor for them financially, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, but you're right. You're, it's a secured lien. Um, it really doesn't go away uh, that easily, you mm-hmm. know. Um, 
Uh, one last quick question, because uh, we're almost out of time here. This is from Scott in Kansas City. He says, could you please ask Dave, if you own the second mortgage and initiate the foreclosure, and you actually have to end up going through the foreclosure, how do you handle the first mortgage? Do you need to be in a position to completely pay off the first? How does that work, please? The Usually the only time we ever pay off the first when we're foreclosing is if it was in redemption, because when you're in redemption, you can't reinstate. But the majority of the time, we would be reinstating. And if it was a case where we couldn't afford this, we wouldn't have been taking it to foreclosure. Like, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we're only going to go there when we know, kind of know statistically what our outcome is going to be. So we don't foreclose just for the sake of foreclosing so we can lose our money. Um, it's not like that. So we pretty much have a strategy in place as we're moving along. But to his point, you know, 90% of the time we're just we would just foreclose, and then the first might start to foreclose against us. And if that were the case, and we didn't have it sold yet or didn't have it rented, we can usually bring the first current. And in most states, you have reinstatement rights to protect your interest because you are a secured lien holder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, in our in our example that we threw out there right at the beginning, ninety-five thousand dollar first mortgage. It's it's current. Forty thousand dollars second house is worth a hundred thousand dollars. If that first mortgage has gone through has already gone through a modification, it is at three percent interest. And, right. and, a, and it's a forty year mortgage now. <laughs> so that was that was the workout. So the payment is like four hundred and twenty dollars a month PITI and you know you can rent that house for a thousand bucks a month. You might just go ahead and foreclose and do that. Yes, and, and that's why sometimes people buy the asset that's three cents, where it's delinquent 150 days plus on the first mortgage, is because they're going to find some short sales in there, and, and where they're where the first mortgage might let them get paid anywhere from 25 to 80, 8,500 bucks from like mm-hmm. Bank of America. I've seen Chase pay up to 20 grand to a second. So there's cases where you do hit home runs on those. And then the other scenario is where the first mortgage is reporting a false negative on credit, like you said, because they're doing a loan mod. So you find those hidden gems sometimes mm-hmm. in an asset that you didn't pay very much for. And very they typically good. get out of like three out of ten. You know, They might get out uh, some kind of revenue out of them. You know? Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Dave. We are out of time. I've been talking today, today to Dave Van Horn from Partners for Property... Partners for Payment Relief. I knew I was going to mess that up eventually. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.